Welcome to Soundboard, the Steinway and Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Finan, director of content at Steinway and Sons and editor-in-chief of the online music magazine, listenmusicculture.com. If you enjoy Soundboard, please rate, review, and subscribe to it wherever you pod your casts. My guest today is Steinway artist and composer, Dr. Karen Walwyn who made the premiere recording of the Florence Price Concerto for Piano on Albany Records. Walwyn joins me today to discuss the legacy of Florence Price and why she is committed to recording Price's complete solo piano repertoire. Karen, how did you first encounter the music of Florence Price? And... Why have you spent so much of your musical energy to champion her music? I first came across the name Florence Price when I was in the middle of my doctoral studies at the University of Michigan. And it was because my mentor, Dean Willis Patterson, he stopped me in the hallway one day. He's a singer. He has a very deep bass voice. And he said, uh, Karen, uh, what African-American composers do you know? And I felt like shrinking down into the floor because hmm. <laughs> I, I thought I should know some, I don't know any. I've suddenly, mm. I felt guilty. Mm. And it's like, um, I don't know any. <laughs> He said, well, let me show you, let me show you my office. So I walked into his office and there was this amazing room full of books, music scores, albums. And he said, they are here. There there are many, many, many African-American composers writing classical music. He allowed me to just start digging in. You know, the time before this period, we were, we, my, me and my piano teachers were usually working on the usual standard repertoire, standard repertoire of Beethoven, Bach, Brahms, Chopin, all the music that you would find that's listed in the piano competitions. All those white dead guys. Right, right, right. Anyone that mentioned African-American composer, they thought that it was going to be Scott Joplin. Mm. I knew instinctively that no one, I don't think they're referring to Scott Joplin, but I just had no reference. In one of my dissertation recitals, I chose Adolphus Hillstorp to be my very first composer of color because he's living and I got a chance to talk to him, to, to meet him. I found Florence Price's recording of the Sonata, which was by Althea Waits. But because I wanted the opportunity to speak with the composers, my very first project would then become what I now have as two volumes of Dark Fires, African-American composers of classical music. 
Florence Price came to my hands actually in 2010 when I was invited to perform the concerto in one movement, which was at the time orchestrated by Trevor Weston. And so the orchestration was necessary because the actual orchestra parts were not available. But the first piano and second piano parts were available. I'm sorry, what do you mean by first piano and second piano parts? Florence Price had written the concerto, written for orchestra, but then she had the piano part, which was a separate manuscript, and she had written a second piano part so that a pianist would rehearse with her. I see. That's the orchestral reduction. Right, right. At the time, this would be a performance and it would also be a recording. And so I had about six weeks to learn the music. And so I must tell you that in those six weeks, that was not a time for me to have the opportunity to reflect <laughs> <laughs> and, and get to know well, who, who really was Florence Price. I'm just learning the notes on the page. I was very honored to be able to premiere this concerto performance with the new Black Music Repertory Ensemble conducted by Leslie B. Dunner in Chicago. And so we did that in the spring of 2010. If that wasn't hair-raising, the next day we went into the recording of the work. And the recording for me, I think that was around maybe 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. It was at a comfortable time. I had about an hour and a half. The work is about 22 to 24 minutes at length. We got it done. I was happy. Went to the hotel. And at 9 p.m. that night, I got a phone call. And they said, the piano, unfortunately, was not in tune. Mm. We have to do this again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And you have 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. My mom would have called that a dry run. You had a dry run. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> wow. That was... <laughs> what you hear was that 30 minutes plus maybe a couple of spots. Otherwise, that was it. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Which take for you was better? Well, I felt that I had warmed up and had a chance to relax and really feel comfortable on the previous day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. First of all, I'm not a 9 a.m. person. Sure. I'm pretty sure that the restraints of the time on a deadline. Art on a deadline. And, uh-oh, I cannot screw this up. <laughs> We're really making me feel very uncomfortable. So I have no idea what that first one sounded like, but I can tell you how I felt much, much more relaxed, you know, after getting into it. Okay. Thank you. 
So this was your first exposure to Florence Price's music. Mm -hmm. Learning this concerto, Mm -hmm. unheard, sight unseen, Mm -hmm. six weeks recording it. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you go from that to saying, you know what? This lady deserves not only my effort, my time, but a larger audience. And I want to devote myself to making sure that she gets it. Yeah. What happened was, as a result of the concerto recording, this would be manufactured and distributed by Albany Records. And so my name came up in the conversation with Dr. James Greeson in 2016. He was putting together and producing a documentary on Florence Price, A Caged Bird, Life on Florence Price. And um, he sent me some scores of music that had not yet been recorded. And so then he told me a little bit about what had been discovered over the years between 2010 and 2016. Mm -hmm. When he sent me one piece in particular called In Milano O' Cotton Suite, I fell in love with the piece and I started to wonder, what else did she write? And what is this story that I've been hearing little bits and pieces of? And so this story is, in fact, the music that was found that had been abandoned in her actual summer home in Kankakee, Illinois. Hmm. And that music was the larger bulk of her production than what had already been out and published or people were aware of. This set of music was the larger bulk of the music that she had actually written. When she died in 1953, you know, there's several questions as to why did we lose contact with the music? Things come to mind such as, uh, I think one of the more difficult things to to have to realize is that as an African-American, she came from a family that was trying to hide their color. And so the hard, hard decision that her mother made when Florence was just 24 was that her mother would leave Little Rock after her husband, Florence Price's father, had died. And because he died penniless, although he had been a very successful dentist, when Jim Crow laws set in, he lost most of his patients because he wasn't allowed to have white patients. Mm -hmm. By the time that he died, Florence Price's mother made a decision to slip into white society. And that meant that she moved back to Illinois. I have no um, evidence from my research. I have not seen or read of any communication between her and her daughter since then. Right. And so at the time of her death, I do not know which, if any relative would take her music and, and make sure that it was in the proper hands, you know, with regards to publishing copyrights, etc. I don't know if there was any other advocate for her music to help keep the music in front of the public. The best conclusion that I can make is, you know, just unfortunate circumstances, which, which I know can happen to, almost any composer, but in particular, under the circumstances of, you know, trying to hide from the color, uh, from the race, played a 
big Part of, of course, that simply can't be removed from her story. Yeah. I read that when uh, Miss Price attended New England Conservatory, she passed as Mexican there in mm-hmm. order to avoid the racism that would have followed her. Mm-hmm. There was a time, I don't know how long a period that she did pass as Mexican. I do know that on one of her programs, she had the address in Pueblo, Mexico. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, because she was very influenced by her composition teacher, Mr. George Chadwick, who encouraged her to do what Dvorak had been doing, using themes and and motives and harmonies and rhythms of the African-American, the folk music of the country, of any country, to embrace the essence of the folk music, she was determined to include that in her music and to not hide. And she very much did. Right. I'm just thinking of the piano concerto that you premiered. That opens with a very clear spiritual theme. Right. In call and response. Right. And later it gets a bit more Rachmaninoff. Yeah, you're right. But that opening is clear, clearly a Negro spiritual. Yes. And... It was looked down upon in certain circles of the black community in the 30s and 40s to have any reference to the African-American history in, in this music. And so there were so many different pockets to fight against, not just the usual lines of racism, but even from her own community depending on where where you're speaking of. Sure. In Chicago, there would be a lot more of an open-armed embrace of this music because it's a totally different climate than back in, in Little Rock. Yes, she didn't hide. You hear inside of the concerto, along with so many of her works um, that I've gotten to know more and more intimately, you hear... The call and response, you hear references to spirituals. Though she doesn't quote a spiritual, she just makes her lines that mirror spirituals, slave songs. She incorporates the rhythms from the juba. Juba dance is a dance that was brought over by the enslaved Africans, where during happier moments when they're together kind of in a circle like figure and they, they are singing and they're patting their bodies with their hands and very rhythmic and syncopated rhythms. And so you hear that inside of the last section of this concerto as well in the last movement of some of her symphonic works and in some of her smaller piano works from first to second to third parts in particular with the concerto, you can't escape it. Can't escape it.
touched, what would make me return to her music is that she didn't hide. She did everything to become the composer that she had become, utilizing the materials of her own heritage, telling the story of her own heritage. You are in the midst of a project of recording all of her piano music. Yes, <laughs> it is a lot of music. She is extremely prolific. I had no <laughs> idea how much music this lady wrote. Yeah. I started scrolling through and it's remarkable to say the least. It is, it is. I'm getting ready to have the first album for her birthday, April 9th this year. It'll have a combination of uh, works that I think will be the first time recording and then the sonata in E minor. And so I'm very excited to get this ready, to get it completed. I just finished the bulk of the recording in Ann Arbor, Michigan. But yes, you're right. Michael Cooper, the editor of the majority of the piano works by Florence Price, I think he said somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 pieces that he's completed so far, and maybe more. But then Dr. Barbara Jackson also has a number of pieces. And in fact, when I made my pledge, if you will, to do all of the piano works, I thought I had them all. Until <laughs> 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 so I... Until I started communicating with uh, Dr. Cooper and and realized, oh. As you dig deeper and deeper (laughs) into this rep, Mm -hmm. what do you see as through lines running through her work? When I had the opportunity to go to Little Rock back in 2016, 2017, to visit Arkansas, because I felt it was necessary for me to just put myself in the place where she was born, where she was raised, and just try to touch the land. That red clay out there. Yeah, yeah, to figure out what was she writing about. I went first to Harrison, which is far out west. And Harrison is known to be one of the central KKK regions in the country. And I went and I visited with Hattie Methvin. She had been on an interview with Kamal Bell from CNN. And he was there to interview her and to talk about, you know, what is life like today with the KKK just down the street? I wanted to talk to her and introduce to her Florence Price. And so she was very touched, you know, that I would come and visit with her. And we talked about what life is like there now. You asked me, what am I finding in Florence Price's works? I am finding that she wrote a lot about what she saw. For example, when she was going to school, she did pass by a cotton mill. In her time, many Blacks who were not afforded the opportunities that her parents had for her, they were being taught in one-room buildings. Mm -hmm. And those buildings still stand today. When you see the titles of many of the songs, you'll see titles that reflect everyday life. 
the old rocking chair. So many of the titles, when you put them together, you actually come up with an old country day back in the time, maybe just after slavery, when Blacks were trying to just have a life, you know, without the unfortunate tensions brought on by the racial climate and uh, Jim Crow laws. It's like a description of how beautiful life could be if it weren't for some of the unfortunate atrocities that would happen. It's like looking in an album of beautiful days and the hope that perhaps these days can become reality for citizens of color. So from Harrison, I went to Fayetteville. Fayetteville, I got a chance to go to look at the music at the special collections at the University of Arkansas and to touch the manuscript, to see the letters that she wrote, the numerous letters that she wrote to promote her music, get her music published. In fact, to the conductor, Maestro Kutzvitsky with the Boston Symphony Orchestra, there were six letters that she wrote where she was repeatedly asking, despite her color, despite her gender, would you please listen to my music? All of this helps me to come back to her score and appreciate the soul, the essence, and the earth of the music. You can't just pick up a piece by Florence Price and play it based on the notes on the page. You can't. And you said something to me in the very beginning about just cold start with that concerto. Think about how many times you have heard the A minor sonata by Mozart. Sure. You know, from the day you're born, at least with every living composer that I had a chance to speak with related to my recordings, I asked, well, when did you first hear music? Oh, when I was born, I heard the music was in the house. And... As same for me. When I was born, I don't remember a Sunday afternoon that I didn't hear Bach or Chopin. But you didn't hear Price. So there's no there's no example of what to listen for when you're approaching her music. And so if you approach it the way you would a Mozart sonata or a not turned by a Chopin. You can't, because her music is saying something very different. As I look through her music, 
the more I see certain characteristics come back and come back and come back, I start to learn her conversation, her style of conversation versus the style of Beethoven versus the style of Schumann versus the style of Rachmaninoff. When I had the opportunity to re-record <laughs> the concerto this past year with the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra, I had so many different things to talk about <laughs> in that concerto. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to when it's released, but having had the opportunity to visit Little Rock, to stand on the corner, frankly, where the lynching of John Carter took place. Sure. The lynching of John Carter was in 1926. And that corner was the corner where the Mosaic Templars stand still today. And that is the African-American museum slash heritage house where collections of the history of Black Little Rock natives, citizens have been collected. It's at that corner just across the street where the AME uh, Episcopal Church stood. It was also the corner that just one building down was where Florence Price's husband's law practice was. And so a half a mile away is where Florence Price's home was located. And so to have this horrific lynching occur, there's a long history to this lynching, but the, the, the bottom line was that this was an innocent black man that had been had, had been gunned down with over a hundred bullets in his body and then hung and brought uh, fire was brought to his body to be burned. Imagine that right outside of where you work and not too far away from your home with your children. That lynching led to an exodus yes. of black folks from Little Rock. That's right. And that was in 1927. Miss Price would have been, what, in her 30s? Apparently there was a rumor of a white child having been killed. And so in retaliation, it was being said that black daughters of prominent families would be killed. And so between those two events, Florence Price would take her daughters and uh, quickly move to travel up to Chicago. And I took that drive from Little Rock to Chicago to appreciate what that might have been like. Of course, I hadn't faced such horrifying events, but I tried to envision you arrived to Chicago, and now what? <laughs> it's like, you have a family, you have to find a place to live. And so eventually her husband would join her, and, uh, and she starts to write even more. <laughs> and that's what's so stunning. Karen, thank you for speaking with me today and for sharing this story and sharing your mission I look forward to the fruit that I'm sure it will continue to bear. I am very 
honored to have the opportunity to talk about her music. And I think the biggest reason is that while there were so many tragic moments in her life, the amazing gifts that we have the opportunity to unpackage, it's infinite. Each piece that I, I have the opportunity to, to open up and look at it and look at the paintings that she's created. It's like a little story in, in each song that is so beautiful. And maybe it's a place of where she escaped to, to get away from all of the other stuff. But her music is inspiring. It's, it's poetic. I'm reminded of Schumann. It's passionate. I'm reminded of Rachmaninoff. It's technically engaging. I'm reminded of Tchaikovsky. It's uh, thematically gripping. I'm reminded of Beethoven. And so I feel like I do have, I do have a, a, a life journey as I travel through her works. And I look forward to it, one song, one piece at a time. You've been listening to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard clips today from Steinway artist Karen Walwyn performing Florence Price's Concerto in One Movement with the New Black Music Repertory Ensemble, conducted by Leslie B. Dunner on Albany Records. We also heard Steinway artist Murray Pariah playing Mozart's Sonata in A minor, K310, on Sony Classical. Our intro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan, Editor-in-Chief at ListenMusicCulture.com. Question for the podcast? Message me on Facebook at Soundboard or hit me on the gram at Soundboard Podcast. Subscribe to Soundboard on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, or wherever you pod your casts. Thank you for listening.